I thank you for this time that you give us together every week. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's uh, never changing. It's always the same. It's the anchor in our life. It's the anchor to our soul. And so, Lord, today as we study your word, as we hear your word, I, I pray that it energizes us. It strengthens us in our most inner being. And Lord, I pray for those watching online and those listening by podcast. And I pray for those in this house, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today as individuals and as your body. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start today in Galatians chapter 5 in verse 13. And it says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Everybody say free. Freedom's a great thing, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, if I say rather, serve one another humbly in love. I like this out of the passion. He says, beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to, to set up your base of operations in the natural realm, but constantly and consistently Love each other and be committed to serve one another. For the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. One of our core values here at IFC and in the way that we take that verse, we like to say it this way. Saved people serve people. Would you say that with me? Saved people serve people. And here he's saying, listen, you have been ransomed from death and given life and a life of freedom, not so you can accomplish your plans. Thank you. I'm going to need some help today. He has ransomed us and given us freedom, not just so we can build our own kingdom and get the things that we want and do what we want in this life. We have been ransomed for freedom to free others. And how do we free them? By, by serving them and by loving them. We say it this way, and I, I will just put this in your ears. Save people. They serve people. And so if you're here today and you say, man, I'm saved, then, then you have a purpose now, and that is to live a life of freedom and then serve others around you so they can experience the same freedom you have. You could say it this way, you were saved for a purpose, and your purpose, if you don't know it, is to serve other people. I like to say it this way, spiritual maturity is seen in the life of a believer when their focus shifts from how can somebody serve me to how can I serve somebody else? Now, I'm just naturally, we have three little kids and, and, and we have uh, two, two real little ones, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And man, you got to serve them all the time. Cash is, is starting to talk a little bit. He's our one-year-old. And he's starting to say, help me, help me, help, help, help. He'll be standing on top of something and he'll climb up on this. We got these um, bar stools in the kitchen. He's standing up on top of it. And he, he's standing there and said, help me, help, help, because it's spinning. And then when he got your attention, he said, ta-da. <laughs> and I love it. At the same time, like, dude, he's going to bust his neck right now. Get down from there. And, and, and the sign of immaturity is help, help, help. I need help. Focus on me, me, me. You know, the first time he climbed that stool and got up there and did the ta-da thing, I was like, this is awesome. Look at him go. And then the other night, we had some folks over for dinner, and he climbed up there, and he said, help, 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 help. And they're looking around like, he, is he okay? And I was like, he's just standing on top of the stool. It's no big deal. He's a ta-da. 
It wasn't as much oomph on it because we're like, oh, we've already seen that before. That's how a lot of believers are. We, we want help, 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 help. Lord, help. Lord, help. Help me. And our focus is on ourselves and we, we need his help. But there comes a certain time where we, where we grow up and we mature in the Lord and we realize I can help myself in the power of him. But my greatest purpose is now help, help, helping somebody else. That, that when we begin to stop looking on ourselves, we can help somebody else that's just giving their heart to the Lord or is thinking about giving their heart to the Lord or thinking about committing to a church or thinking about tithing or thinking about serving. Listen, that's our opportunity, and that's what we were given freedom for. Your purpose is to help others in serving them. Everybody say serving is a good thing. One of my favorite things about Sundays, and I, I have a list I could go down today. I, I love coming to IFC on Sundays for many reasons. And, and, and one of the greatest reasons is I love seeing people that have moved from help me to how can I help you. When I pull in the parking lot, my friend Jesse Burns is out there with a the big sign, with the big Alabama smile saying, hey, welcome to church. Can I help you find a parking spot? And then you walk in and all my friends in blue. Where's all my friends in blue? All my guest services team. Man, what a great, it's so exciting walking in and, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You look good. Come on in right this way. Man, I'm like, this is, this is the kind of church I want to go to. Man, I'm glad I get to pass through this kind of church because people have moved from help me to how can I help you? Man, you should, some of you, you've never been upstairs, you should take a journey to Kids World and, and walk through the lobby and see all of our teams in their crazy colored shirts helping families get their kids checked in and getting them to the right classes so they can hear the word of the Lord for themselves today. Man, we have such a culture of serving here. And it excites me. I mean, it gets me fired up because I realize that this isn't every church. This isn't every church that you walk into where, where people are excited to serve. What does it show me? It shows me that, that people have taken a grasp on the word and they've helped themselves to the point where they're like, man, my life's been changed. I want to make sure that I can help somebody else's life get changed. Every Sunday, hundreds and hundreds of people serving. And what are they doing by serving? They're saying, I've no longer come to church to be a consumer, but now I've come to be a participator. And let me just say this for a moment to all of our friends watching online because we get to see everybody serving up front here. But you know there's people serving online right now. There's, there's friends of mine, the, the Simmons family, they're serving right now in Atlanta, Georgia. They call this house home. That's pretty amazing, my friends. Tiffany and Leo Jasudi, and we love you guys. They serve in our life groups from their boat in Florida. Come on now. Come on, listen, they've got to a place where they said, hey, even though we've been moving and we're going to do some different things for our life, we still want to serve others in our church called IFC, and I'm so grateful. Would you just tell them one more time for all of our online serving teams, those that are praying with people today, those that are chatting with people today, thank you, thank you for serving behind the scenes. It excites me when people go from a revelation of I've been given something to now it's my time to give something. My pastor, Jonathan Del Turco, says it this way. He says, the value of your life is not found in its duration, but in its donation. Your value of life is not just because you existed and you lasted. It's about what did you do while you were here. We call it life between the dash. 
You know, on a tombstone, there's a, there's a birth date, and then there's a dead date. And there's this little dash in the middle. What is that? That represents your donation for the length of time you're here. I want to just challenge you, second service. You're not here just to exist and endure. You're here to make a difference in that dash. That you have been freed and saved with a purpose for, for however long that dash is here. Man, there's people's lives that are counting on us. Your value isn't about what you can accumulate. It's about what you donate. I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm a hoarder. This is confessions of a true life pastor. I like junk. Like, I like yard sales. I like flea markets. I like bringing stuff home. I like rusty gold. You know, stuff that most people pass over. I'm the guy that brings it in the truck, and my wife's looking at me like, that ain't coming in this house. I'm like, I know. I was just going to take it down to the basement. We'll put it down there. And she has to remind me when the accumulation gets to a certain point. You know you're not taking the stuff with you. And I'm like, I'm just enjoying it during the dash. I'm just enjoying these hundreds of skateboards. I, I like these things. I don't knock your shoe collection. It's the same. But here's the thing. The world lives differently than we live. I've been reminding you for the last few weeks that we are supernatural beings. Hear me now. You're a supernatural being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Turn to your neighbor and pinch them. Say, you are a spirit. Go ahead, pinch the person next to you. Say, you have a soul, but you live in a body. And here's the thing. Your spirit, your spirit is the only thing that's going to the next place. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, they're going to stay here in the dirt with your body. You can't take any of that stuff with you. These shoes are not going with me. My toys are not going with me. And I want to just encourage you and remind you today, you've got to get a mentality that you're passing through. And so instead of an accumulation mentality like the world, get everything you can, store everything we can, guess what? That's all corruptible. The only thing that's incorruptible is the difference you make that takes somebody else to eternity with you. An eternal difference. How do we make an eternal difference? We, we sow our lives and we love people where they're at that one day we pray that they would meet Jesus Christ. I want to tell you three reasons why I think serving is important. Everybody say why. You got to understand the why. Somebody told me recently, they said, if you lose your why, you lose your way. If you lose your why, you lose your way. And I want to just tell you, we have a purpose for serving here at IFC. It's not something that we thought about, like maybe this would be a good idea. It is the why behind the what. Here's three reasons why I think serving is important. Number one, I find that serving is fulfilling. That, that there's many things that I can do in my life that, that, that they, they satisfy my natural being. They're exciting, they're fun, I made a memory, but they don't have a fulfillment that lasts beyond that moment. It just becomes a memory. But when we give our lives to serving others, we be fulfilled in a different capacity because it has an eternal capacity. Everybody say it, eternal Today we're talking about making a difference in the lives of others. Matthew 20, 28 says it this way, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
your fulfillment in life isn't going to come from your 8 to 5. Some of you with horrible jobs should shout, Amen. Listen, you are never going to find fulfillment in your job. Let me say it this way. You're not going to find fulfillment in your spouse. You're not going to find true fulfillment in your kids or toys. The only true fulfillment for a believer comes through serving and giving of ourselves to other people. It's the same reason that Jesus came. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Listen to this. No new job is going to fulfill you more than your old dumb job. I, I meet people all the time and say, will you pray with me? I need a new job. I'm just not being fulfilled in my job. And I have to say, honey, you ain't going to be fulfilled in any job. Nobody like to work. Amen. Well, if I could get the new job, then I'll make some more money. Money doesn't make you fulfilled. Well, because if I had more money from that new job, then I could buy that new toy, that new car, that new truck, that new hairdo, those new clothes, and then I would be happy. I'm going to tell you this. Man, the truth is, is you're not going to be happy. Because you're a spirit being. You guys got to catch this. Because you are a spirit being. See, the world needs those things. They need a new job so they can get more money, so they can buy a new car to impress that girl, to buy these shoes, to live in that house, to, to, to accumulate. And at the end of the day, they die. And the days before they die, they said, I don't even know if I really made a difference. You and I are not natural beings. We are supernatural beings knowing that no job, no car, no money, no shoes, no girl, no guy, none of that. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for a fulfillment that only comes from my relationship with him and the freedom that he's given me. And through that, I want to extend that to everyone else. Then you shall find fulfillment. There are so many people right now that are saying, do what makes you feel good. Society right now is telling young people, hey, don't, don't do the difficult part. I mean, you don't need to inconvenience yourself. You really need to look out for yourself. Everything's about self-care right now. Listen, I want you to be healthy, but more importantly, you need to understand that you're only healthy so you can help other people be healthy. This isn't all about you. The world wants to say, do what you need to make yourself feel fulfilled. And I want to say this to you, that never works until you go back to the Word and find out where true fulfillment comes. It's through serving others. This last week, Jamie, our band director, messaged the worship team and he said, hey, why do you serve on the worship team? Tell me why you serve. And one lady responded, she said, serving on this team helped me take my eyes off myself and put them on the needs of others. I realized a long time ago that nothing I could do for myself would bring the fulfillment that I was looking for. It was only found in serving others when I discovered my purpose. Listen to this. When you focus on serving others, your problems begin to shrink and don't seem so significant. When we focus on serving others, our purpose that we've been looking for comes into full focus. When we serve others, our lives are enriched and ultimately fulfilled. And serving others actually transforms your dull life, your boring life, into an extraordinary adventure. For some of us, we're bored with life. I'm just bored. Get up, work out, go to work, punch the clock, 
run that machine, answer to that knucklehead, do this, do that, fill out these reports, make those calls, to hang up the phone, to clock out, to get back in the car, do my commute home, go deal with my crazy wife, my crazy kids. That's two hours. And we're all looking for 8 o'clock when it's bedtime. Because now the day's over and I have me time. And then we sit around and we binge Netflix and we hang out and we scroll on our phone to stay up too late to get up the next morning to do it again. And then it becomes what we call a rat race or an endless cycle of struggle because we're thinking that we'd be fulfilled in this, that, or the other. And the truth is, is we're not. And yet now we would say for many of us that are be honest, our lives are just boring. The job that we have is not a job that we enjoy. It's simply to pay the bills and keep the lights on and keep peace in the house. And I want to tell you, you were built for more than this. I said, I want to tell you, you were built for more than this. You were built and created and destined by God himself to live a boring, dull life. you got to get your eyes off yourself and begin to help somebody else. And then your joy comes back. And then your peace comes back. And your mind gets clear. And it becomes not about what I have to do, but more about what I get to do. For some of us, we're looking for the fix to our dull life. It is get your eyes off yourself. Focus on somebody else. In 2005, I moved to Southern California and I took a job as a youth pastor at a great little church plant and I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know anybody. I, I knew the pastor, but I didn't know anybody else. And so I moved into a house with a roommate that I just met and not having any friends, not having any family there, being on the West Coast was kind of isolating, to be honest with you. And it, it wasn't long after being there that I was starting to feel really depressed. And I was starting to feel like this is just a humdrum, dull season. And that next year, Thanksgiving was coming up. And my family said, do you want to come for Thanksgiving? And I said, well, I don't have the time off. And I don't have the money. I really don't. I, I can't afford to go travel. And so I decided I'll just stay here and stay in my room and sulk because I can't be with my family for Thanksgiving. And there's a lot of people that do that because they don't have family at holiday times, they go into a deep depression or even an anxious time because that's what we're supposed to be doing at Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I found naturally myself going into that, and somebody asked me, I said, well, what are you going to do on Thanksgiving? And I was having a pity party. I said, well, I'll probably just get one of those hungry man dinners and put it in the microwave and sit around and watch football all day. And they said, well, man, that sounds horrible. Why would you do that? And I said, well, I don't have any family. I ain't got no friends. And I just began to tell them all my problems which weren't really big problems at all. And they said, well, hey, instead of doing that, why, won't you, why don't you come to L.A. with us? We're going to go feed the homeless. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do on Thanksgiving. <laughs> like I had a real attitude, like, thanks, that sounds fun. <laughs> and they were like, man, you really are sour. Like this is a good friend. He said, you really are sour. You really are bitter. And I said, I want to be eating turkey at my grandmother's house, just like everybody else. And he said, well, man, you can, you can sulk and do that or you could come with us and, and provide a meal for somebody who didn't have a meal. And I thought, oh, you guilt tripped me now. And over a couple conversations, it worked, Walter, it worked. And he said, man, you should come with us. He said, I'll pick you up in the morning. I'll pick you up about 6 o'clock. I said, 6 o'clock? It's Thanksgiving, man. Can't we... I, 
Let's go serve him Thanksgiving dinner, not Thanksgiving breakfast. And he said, we're going to drive. And so I committed to go. And I remember driving from Temecula all the way up to L.A. It was about an hour and a half, almost two hours. And the whole way I had a sour attitude. I didn't want to do this. It's ridiculous. Saturday, I'm doing this on Thanksgiving. And we got there, and I, I again begrudgingly went and signed in with the people that we were serving with. Hey, I'm Josh. I'm here from Temecula. We're here to serve the food. She's like, well, we're so excited you came. Thank you so much. And I'm like, calm down, lady. <laughs> she gave me a little name tag, gave me a plastic smock and some gloves. In fact, I have a picture of it. You want to see it? Show me my picture. This is me serving Thanksgiving dinner. This is my buddy Aaron that talked me into going. Laugh it up. Go ahead. Laugh it up. Sometime I'll show you the picture of Halloween when I was at college where I went as a lunch lady. That was a fun time. I got there and I put the smock on and I had the sour attitude and my buddy Aaron was kind of like, hey man, this, you got to have to smile, like act like you want to be here. And I'm like, dude, I'm here, okay? I'm as present as it's going to be. And I remember the lady said, you guys are going to hand out the pumpkin pie. You guys will be the pie guys. And I was like, okay, pie guys, whatever. She said, it's going to be like a, a, a conveyor belt. You guys are just going to stand here, and as they come to the line, you'll just hand them the pumpkin pie at the end and say something like, happy Thanksgiving. And I was like, okay, we can do that. And I remember the, the first guy that came through line, and he looked really disheveled. I handed the pie and said, happy Thanksgiving. And he said, man, thank you so much. And he started tearing up. He said, I haven't eaten all week. This is amazing. Look at all this food. And I was like, oh, man. And he went on, and the second person came to the line, and, and she was all disheveled. And, I mean, she looked rough, and she started crying, too. She said, this is amazing. Oh, my God, why would you guys do this? Thank you so much. And then I started getting emotional. In a moment, like two pieces of pie in. Like, the Spirit of God's working on me, and I'm like, hey, happy Thanksgiving. And you know what? For the next four hours, I don't know how many thousands of pieces of pie that I served, but, man, I was energized. Like, I went from being, like, depressed to, like, man, I am high as a kite right now. Like, this is amazing. Like, wow. Like, this simple act of kindness went so far to help them. But, man, I left on the way home. I'm driving in the car back, and I'm thinking, this is the greatest Thanksgiving I've ever had. Like there was something that changed in me, Kevin, that I couldn't have changed unless I committed to serving someone else. See, most Thanksgiving is just about how much can I eat and get away with? And then how long can I sleep before someone says, man, he ate too much? And that's, that, that Thanksgiving transformed something in me because when I gave up something that, that, that I didn't even want to do but out of compulsion from the Holy Spirit to say this is what I should do, I was re-energized. You know, it was after that that Stephanie and I and a few others, we began to feed the homeless weekly down in Oceanside and different various parts of Oceanside, California, because I was so energized by one piece of pie that it was like, man, if that's the fulfillment I get, we should be doing this every single week. I left that day thinking or hearing the Lord saying, Josh, it's, it's not about you. It's about others. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 says, do not look to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Everybody say others. In that season, the narrative in my mind went something like this. I can't serve because I don't have the time. People would ask me to serve at church. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have those skills. And over the years, people would ask me to do service things. 
And in my mind, I would roll through all these scenarios of why I couldn't. Well, it's too early. It's too late. I'm too tired. That would take too much energy. It's too difficult. That would be uncomfortable. I don't like those people. I, and I would make all these excuses, and the Lord began to talk to me. He said, the problem with all those statements is, Josh, they're all about you and what you get or what is required of you to serve others. It's a backwards relationship. And he said, being truly satisfied only comes when you serve other people. The second reason that I believe serving is important is because it allows us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It allows us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We say it this way at IFC, together is better and together we can make a difference. See, I believe inside of every one of us, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, that you have a a, a naturally or supernaturally deposit of you want to make a difference. You you have this desire to, to, to live a life of impact and live a life of legacy and live a life of change. And that's the Spirit of God talking to you. But then the this voice of the enemy, he begins to speak to us and say stuff like, well, you're not qualified enough. Well, you don't really have the time to do that. That would really be tiring. Or, man, you'd have to work with those kind of people. Or, or that would cost you something. And through those little voices in our head, we back out of commitments and say, you know what, I really can't do that. I got a lot going on. I'm really not that qualified. I'm not that skilled. In fact, I I don't really have that much to offer. And we find ourselves backing ourselves into a corner with excuses of what we have isn't good enough. Or it's not enough. I think about when, when there were seasons where I was struggling with finances and the bucket would come by, it was time to give, and the Lord would say, the enemy would say to me, you don't need to give that because it's just a little bit. It doesn't make a difference. And so I'd put it back in my pocket and say, you're right, I need that five bucks. I need that three dollars. And the enemy was always challenging me in my mind to say, not good enough, not enough, too small, too little, too late, going to cost you too much. I want to remind you today that the Spirit of God has created you uniquely with a purpose. And then when you bring your little and add it to someone else's little, and then I add my little to your little, it becomes much. And here's the great thing about family. Maybe yours is a little, maybe somebody else has a little. Together we can make a difference. Don't let the devil talk you out of contributing through serving others through your time, through your talent, or through your treasure because it seems insignificant or it seems like it's not enough. I want to read you a long scripture here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but I think this will give you a good picture of God's purpose for what seems insignificant to us in our natural minds. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 out of the Passion says, Just as the human body is one, everybody say one. one. It has many parts that are together, they form one body. Everybody say one. one. So too is Christ. And for by one spirit we were all immersed and mingled into a single body. And no matter our status, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we are all privileged to drink deeply of the same Holy Spirit. Verse 14 says, in fact, the human body is not one single part, but rather many parts mingled into one. So the foot can't say, hey, since I'm not a hand, I don't want to be a part of the body. It's forgetting that it's still a vital part of the body. And what if the floppy ears were to say, since I'm not an eye, I don't really want to be a part of the body. I'd be forgetting that it's still an important part 
of the body. Think of it this way. If the whole body was just one big eyeball, how, how would it hear sounds? And if the whole body were just big Dumbo ears, how could it smell the different fragrances? But God, but God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as He desires. Listen to this. Diversity is required. I love that right there. It's in the Bible. Diversity is required. For if the body consisted of one single part, it wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many different parts and functions, but one body. It would be wrong for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you. And equally wrong if the head said to the foot, I don't need you. In fact, the weaker our parts, the more vital and essential they are. The body parts we think are less honorable, we treat with greater respect. And the body parts that need to be covered in public, we treat with propriety and we clothe them. But some of our body parts don't require as much attention. Instead, listen to this, God has mingled the body parts together, giving greater honor to the lesser members who lacked it. He has done this intentionally so that every member would look after the others with mutual concern and so that there would be no division in the body. In that way, whatever happens to one member, it happens to all of us. If one suffers, we all suffer. If one is honored, we all rejoice. For you are the body of the anointed one and each of you is unique and a vital part of it. As your pastor, I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. He's created you with a purpose. And every one of us has a unique calling and unique giftings and unique anointings and they don't work outside of the body. They don't work outside the body, but when you attach your part and your uniqueness and your calling to the greater body of Christ, you not only find your meaning, but you contributing to making a difference as a whole, as one. For so many years, I've watched people stay away from church, in serving church, in giving of their time and talent and treasure because they believe the lie that it's not good enough or it doesn't fit in here. And I want to say this to you. That's not your decision to be the judge of that. The only one who gets to judge what we do and how we do it is Him who gave it to us. And the way that we honor Him as our Father and our Creator is resubmitting those gifts and talents even as small and as insignificant as they may seem in our little minds. He has a greater purpose. I said He has a greater purpose. I was thinking this morning about, and this wasn't in my notes, but I was having coffee and I began to think about Gideon. Me and Hunter, my seven-year-old, we talk a lot about Gideon. Gideon was found in a wine press where they make wine, but he wasn't making wine. He was actually threshing wheat because he was scared for his life. He was so afraid that he was doing his little menial job in a little bitty wine press so that he wouldn't get a beat down from the Midianites. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came in and said, Oh, mighty man of valor, great and mighty warrior. And he spun around and said, Who? What you talking about, Willis? Who? You're talking to me? And he said, great and mighty warrior, arise. I have a purpose for you. And he continued to argue with the Lord and said, hey, man, I, I think you got the wrong guy. I, I'm just Gideon. I'm, I'm from Manasseh. 
You know Manasseh, Lord, is the, that little bitty town down in South Alabama that you, you don't even know what it is. And by the way, that little town is such a blip on the radar. My family, my, my family, we're the biggest bunch of losers in the whole town. And if you ask anybody in town, they'd say that I'm the biggest loser in the whole family. So I'm the least of the least of the least. You got the wrong guy. And he said, arise, mighty warrior. And in a moment, his eyes were opened to his purpose and his calling. And he realized that his, his gifting may, but may have been small, but that if he would surrender back to God, that God would use it to do something. And if you've been to Bible school or Sunday school or church once before, you know the story is he arose and he began to call out guys and say, I'm going to go fight this battle. Who's with me? And I think they were kind of freaked out. You know, we tell the story like he was, you know, the incredible hawk and showed up like, let's go to war. It wasn't that way. He was still a weenie. He was still the little bitty Gideon. He was the run. Everybody thought, well, who's this guy going to, what's he going to do? But I think when these men heard his voice and the courage inside of him, they realized that something in Gideon had shifted. Something in Gideon, even though in stature and in mentality, he wasn't qualified by man's, by man's accolades or, or concerns. But listen, he had heard from the Lord. And as he rose up, they said, man, if that's what Gideon's going to do, I won't be a part of that. And it says that thousands and thousands of men came to fight with him. And through a series of events, they whittled it down to 300. And they went in and they took the Midianites by storm. We like to tell the story that he was this great body lifter, bodybuilder, you know, specimen of man. He wasn't. He was just a man that in a moment was called to serve. And because he was willing, other men of greater power came alongside of him. Why am I telling you that? The only reason I think I'm telling you that today is because I think that there's some of us that have that mentality. Woe is me. Who is me? I couldn't do anything. I'm just so-and-so. And you don't know my past. And you don't know what I've been through. And, and we live like this. And God's saying, arise and take your place. Your purpose is to serve others. And the fulfillment that you've been looking for and that joy and that energy that you've been desiring, it's going to come when you stand up and recognize that, that God has freed you for a purpose and it's to serve other people. I think about serving in the different areas of our church because some people would say, well, I just serve in kids' world. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's a big deal. I said, it's a big deal. You're making a change in the lives of little ones right now. What about those in the parking lot? I said, it's not a big deal. I just point people where to park. No, no, no. You're the first people they meet on the property. Our ushers, man, it's not, you're not just an usher. Man, you are equipped and graced for the season to lead people in the sanctuary to the right seat so they can experience the presence of God at the best. Never allow yourself to say, well, I just do this or that. None of it's insignificant in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, we all come with our little, and He makes much of it, and we give Him all the glory. And what do we get to experience? We get to experience our friends and our family coming into freedom in a relationship with Jesus that they would have never encountered had we not served them. Your part matters. Your gift matters. Your time matters. Your seed matters. It all matters. Last point, I'm over my time. The reason we serve is we don't have to, we get to. We don't have to, we get to. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor 
Keep your spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. What's he saying? Don't get to a place where you feel like you have to do something. Make sure that you're stirred up and you realize this is an opportunity for you to get to do something. Can I have three more minutes? I want to tell you one more story. Growing up as a pastor's kid, my high school years, I, I kind of ran from the Lord. I really didn't want to have anything to do with church. I didn't want to have anything to do with ministry or nothing. And so I was out late on Friday and Saturday nights doing crazy stuff with my friends. And every Saturday morning, man, there was this guy that would come to my dad's house. And he was always with a weed whacker. And it always seemed like he was outside my door on Saturdays. <coughs> And he was out there, and then he'd be done weed whacking, and then he'd be mowing the grass at my dad's house. And I'd see him through the window, and he'd wave, and I'd tell him he's number one through the window, if you know what that means. Like, dude, get out of here. What are you doing here? He'd always wave. I'm like, dude, you need to. And then I'd see him out there, and he'd be polishing my dad's car and washing the car, and he'd be taking out the trash, and he's washing the windows. Like, this guy lived in my house. I couldn't stand him. His name was Lee. Everybody say Lee. And, and just that name, like right now, it's just like, uh, he was like around all the time. But, but he was always serving at the house, at the, at the parsonage, and then at the church. Like you'd show up at the church, and he'd be there all dressed, waiting for you in the parking lot. You know, we'd ride to church with my dad, and he'd open the doors. I like, dude, I can open the door by myself. I don't need you to open the door. Like I just gave this guy junk all the time, just total attitude, because he was one of those goody two-shoes that I thought, he's just sucking up to my dad because he wants something. He was the guy that come to church early and straighten the chairs and vacuum the seats. And I'm like, why is he vacuuming the seats? Who vacuums church seats? Well, they're dirty. And he's in there. He's doing all the stuff that nobody wanted to do. And we'd leave and he'd be the last one to leave. And like this guy was like part of our family. Like he was, you couldn't get rid of him. And I resented him all through high school because he was doing something that I probably should have been doing. Now fast forward, it was years later, I ran into Lee in California after he had gotten married and moved to the mission field and come home from Argentina and he was speaking at the church that I was on staff at and he got up and he began to talk about how he got to where he was in ministry and how God had blessed him and he said, it was because I, I wanted to be used. And he said, growing up at that church and he was talking about my church and my friends, he said people would always come up to him and say, you know they're using you, right? What? I, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. And he said, I'd go do some job at the church, and somebody would come up to me behind and say, hey, you know, um, they're just using you, right? You're not getting paid to do this, right? They're just using you. And he'd say, yeah, I, I, I signed up for it. I, I want, this is what I want to do. And he said, they would talk down to me. As if I was lesser, as if, as if I was stupid and I'd bought into some kind of scheme. He said, he stood up on that stage. He said, here's the thing. He said, I don't understand. He said, when I got saved, I said, Lord, would you please use me? And he said, when I, when I, gave, my Lord, I, when I gave my life to the Lord, I just surrendered it all. and said, Lord, whatever little I have, I come from this little town and I don't have an education and this and that. But if you can use me, I want to serve Pastor Ross and, and I want to serve that church. and I want to serve those people in whatever capacity. And he said, he said, I... I was doing what I wanted because I, I got to. I didn't have to. And he said over years of years of years, he said it was really disappointing because people would come and say, you know, they're using you. And he'd say, I know, ain't it awesome? <laughs> he said I would flip it on them because they thought they were letting me in on a secret. And he said, I needed to let them in on a secret. I gave my heart to the Lord. I found freedom. And I said, Lord, use me. And so when they would say, you're just being used, he'd say, I know, ain't it awesome? Ain't it awesome? Look at what God's doing in my life. 
Listen, that's the attitude that we get to have. We get to serve God. We get to serve people. We get to show up early and do the things that nobody else wants to. I'll tell you, there's a blessing in serving and contributing that you can never have in just being a taker. That's good preaching right here. There's a blessing that comes when you sacrifice to make sure somebody else has something. And they'll never get it unless you do it. Listen, I want you to stand on your feet. And today, let's just declare, Lord, use me. Lord, use us in whatever capacity you have for us. Lord, use us. Lord, as the song was saying, we say, send us to those places. Can we just sing that for a moment, just that? Just right where you are, just with your heads, heads up, your eyes up, your, your hands up. Let's just sing this out together and surrender our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, wherever you want to place me, I surrender my gifts, my time, my talent, and my treasure back to you. Lord, use me today.